Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And it feels so good to be back. Welcome to season four of the Firetime Podcast. And I feel like things could not be any more strange than they are right now. We are in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. Businesses all over the country are either voluntarily shutting down or being forced to shut down. And no one knows what the next few months are going to hold. And so I'm really excited to be getting back in front of the mic to be able to speak with you guys and deliver content that is hopefully very relevant to allowing your business to continue and just keep pushing forward in the midst of this crisis that we're in right now. And I actually have a little bit of housekeeping news to share with you guys. I am actually stepping down from my job at Fireside at the end of the month, and I created a company actually a couple years back called Read Marketing LLC, and I'm going to be jumping full-time into that. And you know, it's been just amazing to walk down this path with Fireside. They've been so gracious to me, and they're actually going to become a client of mine that I'll be doing some marketing work for, but they have absolutely set me up to take this step. And It's just funny because I was planning on doing this for a while and kind of walking down the path with Fireside, and I had all these speaking engagements lined up that were going to be part of the Firetime tour, and now with the coronavirus, pretty much everything is getting either canceled or postponed. So it's kind of funny. I mean, I'm leaving this comfortable job and jumping into an unknown in the midst of just a crazy economic time. So I feel like everybody's just in a state of disruption and you know, we're all looking for a path forward and I'm really excited with this season of the podcast in particular because I feel like the topics that we're going to be addressing in these episodes are so relevant to the climate that we're in right now. I didn't see it coming when I booked these guests and planned these topics, but man, it's just funny how it works out. So here's the way that season four of the podcast is going to work. The first number of episodes are going to be with guests, just like we normally have. And guys, I'm telling you, this season, we got some heavy hitters. I'm personally on fire from these conversations, and I can't wait for you to hear them. But what's going to be really cool is that the back half of season four is going to be a series of episodes that me and Grant Falco put together about the different departments of your hearth business. And our hope is you could go to these episodes episodes again and again and again to understand how to think about your company, how to divide up responsibilities, and how to systematically attack these departments one by one to build an incredible company with team members who love coming to work. And this couldn't be coming at a more relevant time. I mean, it's crazy to think that we're almost to episode 50. And I was going through an old notebook of mine And I found this actually right before the very first episode of the podcast came out. And I just listened to an interview with Simon Sinek and I was writing down the reasons why I felt like the Firetime podcast had to exist. And there's three words I wanted to share with you. I'm just going back through this notebook. Resource, inspiration, and family. And looking back on it, I think that we've started to create that. I feel like now more than ever, we need a resource. In this economic time, we need to be inspired and we have to have a family that comes around us. So I hope that this podcast is able to do that. And in light of the word family, 
this conversation today is going to be terrific. So at the HPB Expo this year in New Orleans, I sat down with Grant Falco of Falco's and Steven Schroeder, the co-CEO of Napoleon, just like we did last year. And we had an amazing conversation about the dynamics of family business. Now, one thing I have to say is that anytime you're doing a live episode, things can get interesting. And we had a couple sound issues while this was going on. So you're going to hear some of the audio fluctuate in and out slightly during the episode, but don't worry, the content is still amazing. Hey everybody, welcome to the live episode of the Firetime Podcast at the HPB Expo. We're really excited to be here, and I'm joined by Grant Falco with Falco's Steven Schroeder, the co-CEO of Napoleon, and I mean, I'm just excited. I think this is going to be a super fun conversation. Thinking about our industry our industry is made up of a lot of family businesses. I would guess like 70 plus percent of the companies here have some family connection in their business. And so what I'm excited to talk about today is just the fact that family business dynamics exist in huge companies like Napoleon and smaller companies like Falco's. And it's really cool to be able to share common ground just around what works, what, what, can, we, what can we do to make our family businesses better? How do we deal with conflict? And I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. So thank you to you guys that are watching. And I feel like, you know, it would not be the podcast without rolling the intro. So I'm going to roll the intro real quick and then we're going to jump in. How's that sound? Sound good? All right. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And I'm excited to be here today. Like I said earlier, it's going to be a super, super fun conversation, and I just want to jump right into it. So, Stephen and Grant, you know, I really appreciate you guys being here. And, you know, we did this last year at the podcast, and as I've been walking around the trade show, there's all this talk about, you know, coronavirus. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? What's going on with the trade show? And I was actually really stoked walking around yesterday. And so, kind of coming out of the gates, you know, Stephen, I want to talk to you. What's Napoleon bringing to the table this year? How much time do you have, Tim? I don't, I don't think they're going to kick us out, so let's just hear about it. Okay, we got a lot of stuff. And, and to be honest, I didn't really realize it until we got down here. Once you put it all together, there's a ton of stuff. So my brother and I have been very, very busy. So quickly, I'll go over the, the quick Coles notes of what's new. Um, we have a whole new built-in series for um, uh, barbecues, okay, which is a, a full series. Uh, full built-in only, not available for carts, which is pretty cool. We have a redesigned Rogue series, which is the Napoleon entry-level uh, series, which is actually over 30 new units. I think, Grant, you saw a little yeah. bit of them by now. Um, we have an all-new electric series of electric fireplaces, which is all-new as well. Uh, we're showing our all-new 2020 lineup of wood stoves uh, and inserts, which is pretty sweet. Um, all-new store-within-a-store displays we're doing for our barbecue. Yeah, and I think you yeah, saw some. Beautiful. I think you have one in your showroom, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then more importantly, uh, that's kind of just the day-to-day product updates and whatnot. We have two new techs, which are pretty sweet. I won't go into too much depth, but uh, we'll definitely be doing some stuff online so you can see. But we have the first ever heat pump fireplace, which is 26 sear heat pump, which can actually heat and cool your home. Yes, that's right. <laughs> cool your home on a fireplace. Opposed to seeing a heat pump on the wall where you actually have that ugly 
uh, piece of plastic hanging on the, on the wall. It'll actually be in a fireplace format that looks gorgeous in your home, which can heat and cool all together, which is pretty sweet. And also is the first ever Energy Star elect- electric fireplace on the market, which is pretty sweet. That's Qualifies amazing. for rebates in all states, which is incredible. Wow. And then we have a new wood uh, stove, which we're calling EcoSmart which actually has a, a very unique system that regulates in real time, every second, it regulates the emissions leaving the exhaust flue glass, uh, the exhaust flue, and then it, with a, a laser technology, it checks the particulate that's floating through that uh, chimney, and then it adjusts the air in the unit to automatically regulate the airflow to maximize reduction on emissions. And from our stats so far, we're seeing on a 2020 1.5 gram stove, a 2020 gram coupe, it reduces up to 84% more emissions than what a regular 2020 does. So this is just a game changer for the industry. That's crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah, I remember walking through and seeing that yesterday. I, I was really excited about seeing that stove and also the yeah the electric combination of heating and cooling was, was just nuts. Uh, the heat pump is a game changer. I mean, I think our industry understands what we're up against and I think merging the two HVAC and hearth technologies is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Well, guys, like I said, I'm excited to jump into this, and it's cool to see some people talking. I mean, I know for a fact, like, how many of you guys here are a part of a family business? Are there any hands? Like, a lot of people are part of a family business, and there's beauty in that. Like, that is amazing. I don't, I don't come from a legacy of family business like you guys do. I, I, I actually got married in, my wife's standing over, her, her, over here, and her dad was in the industry for years, so she grew up in it, and right as she was getting out of it, I got into it working for her dad. But there's something amazing with that. And I want to get into it. But, you know, family business can be a blessing and a curse. And I, I just want to ask you guys to, to talk about your experience with that. Yeah, so I'll start. Yeah. I mean, the reason it's a blessing is because you get to work with your family. And I care about my family immensely. The pride in which you get to operate and, and continue that legacy, there's just so much to that. Uh, I really try to put myself in their shoes and uh, I realize how uh, over and over and over again that this is just one of the most amazing things in the world, but it can turn like that and there's so much to the blessing and the curse. I think one of the, the, the most important things is to quickly apologize in any situation because the curse is that you're both on a mission, you're both passionate, you're all going the same direction, but you have slightly different ideas sometimes. And, and you're all, you all want the same thing, but sometimes you have some dis- disagreements. I would say that, that that's the curse, is that you're so emotional and passionate behind it that sometimes we have some reactions that need a, a quick sorry. Yeah, but okay, so I wanna, I wanna go to this. So yeah, there, there are times where it can be a bummer. You have to be quick to say sorry, but talk about what's it like when you see success in your business and that's actually come alongside your family. How awesome is that? Uh, it's pretty amazing. So our company, uh, when I came back, so I've been in it 17 years, and uh, I graduated college in business and actually in e-commerce. And we had a, a little website that was selling some product online in 2003, 2004, 2005 that I was a part of. And it set up some false expectations where I thought doing business was extremely, extremely easy. Uh, it was easy at that time. And I was spoiled at that time, to be honest. When, when the recession came is when we all learned how hard it can be. And I thank God every day that that is what I went through. But I had to look across the table week after week working as hard as I could and being unsuccessful because of the economy. We were doing the same things we're doing today, 
now we're just winning together and man it made it all worth it it is one of the most amazing feelings to look across at my father and him be proud look at the company and say this is pretty amazing what we've been doing but it's all because of those hard times the success is just amazing yeah well so steven i want to ask you so as as people are listening to this there's a lot of small mom and pop stores and they might listen to Grant and totally relate, thinking, yeah, I, I mean, it's weird working with my dad or my brother or my sister or my mom. But that doesn't exist in bigger companies. But that couldn't be further from the truth, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I would say the bigger the company in a family business, the bigger the problems, really. <laughs> it just uh, exponentially gets larger as I see my mom looking at me and giggling. Um, but no, it, it's true. So with more people, you have to be really crystal clear on what you're doing in a company with, with the family dynamic. And you have to make sure you stand as one team as a family because that's one kind of business unit is the family. And then you have the, 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 the business side. So there's two sides. The family has to be aligned fully in order for uh, the business to flourish. Because if there's arguments, whether it's from passion and different opinions, uh, that has to be resolved behind closed doors. You can't do that in front of your staff. And, you, and if you come out strong, if you come out talking one uh, one language coming out, if you're fully aligned, I, I think you, you can, it's a winning combination. I love the term aligned because I think you're right, aligned going the same direction. And if there is some undermining in front of staff, it can be detrimental to the leadership, right? And the family is the leader. I wanted, I wanted to make a point with Grant because you talked about uh, how when you first started in the business, you're probably just like me. We're close in age, I think. So you came out, you had some success wins. You probably thought you were on top of the world. You yeah. knew more than your dad did. Oh, you, yeah. you, you knew exactly yep. what to do, how to do everything. Yep. And I will tell you, I was the same way. Okay, I graduated from a nice university. I felt very confident. I felt cocky. Um, and I'll tell you, it is the wrong way. So yep. listeners at home, if you're working with your parents and you're going through this now where you're like, I'm better than them, I'll tell you, you're not, okay? And there's a compromise between what your parents know from this extreme amount of experience and practicality and probably logic from what you were maybe educated on and maybe what the newer, you know, the, the newer tech that you know and the newer ideas that you have. It takes a long time. I think in our family, it took 10 years to really get the balance down between the new gen and the old gen and making it work together. I think that is so critical to understand. You can't walk into your family business and expect to be the boss in year one because it's gonna take 10 to 15 years yep. of hard work. Yep, I mean, we have to change to improve our companies and as we take over a legacy company, you need to change and it has to be a humble approach because you're changing the things that they've done and in a way, you're almost telling them, if it's in an emotional, arrogant, cocky way, like you know everything, you're telling them that they were doing it wrong. If it comes from a humble place, you're, 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 and you understand why and you explain it, it's, it's, it's a whole different perspective when you're aligned to, to make those decisions. Yeah, I think it's awesome you guys are bringing this up because what, what you're describing with a legacy business transitioning generations, honestly, that's kind of where our industry is right now, right? It's like our industry is really about, what, I mean, 30, 35 years old probably, and we're, we're kind of in the middle of this transition point where over the next 10 years, like, 
there's going to be a lot of movement. And we're trying to figure out how does technology play into things? How can we capitalize on the success that has got us here, but not be just stagnant? How can we, how can we take that drive, that work ethic, and like really that like our industry is built on like an entrepreneur's just, just work ethic and determination. How can we take that and now start to build something that's even bigger as we become into, I guess, more, more maturity as an industry, right? Okay, well, we talked about this a little bit last year, and I want to get into it because I think it's really important. So, Stephen, you talked about the difference between the family and the business. Grant, I know that your family has done a really good job of setting up boundaries. How do you set up boundaries within a family business? I know for a fact that that's difficult to do. Well, I think the, uh, the, the we are a family and we are a business, and it has to be treated like that. And I'm just gonna say, it's, it starts at the dinner table. When I was young, my mom had rules, and she held us to those rules. And whether it was my dad or my brother, when we were in the business, we were not allowed to talk about work. And, uh, and it was hard at first, and it still is hard at times, but you have to understand that uh, the family is here and the business is here. And uh, yeah, you can't blur those lines. So, so what are those boundaries specifically for you guys? Uh, I, I so, mean, so no dinner table. Yeah, no dinner table. Um, we uh, spend time together. We vacation together. Uh, uh, as far as the boundaries, I'm not exactly sure. And it never right comes now. up on vacation. Yeah, it, it it well, it depends. But yeah, I mean, it's gonna come up, you guys. It's yeah. gonna come up. You try your hardest to to manage that situation because you know it's emotional. And so, uh, yeah, we just we try to avoid it. My father just. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I have a unique dynamic. You guys have a, a unique dynamic. My father is a sales manager for EnviroFire. Uh, he sells to a, a supplier that I buy from. Like, we can't talk. We can't talk or we undermine the process. So truthfully, our boundaries are we talk about my kids. We talk about life. Like, uh, we don't focus. My dad, we meet to talk about work, you know? so. So that those are our boundaries, and and it was created because we have a unique entry into to into this hearth world. Uh, my my brother is a, a rep for Pit Boss Louisiana Grill. My uncle is a sales rep for Gorman Distributing. All last name Falcos. It's a unique that dynamic, but we we try to stick to family as our conversation majority of the time. Yeah, and we schedule our work time. <laughs> I like that. So, uh, with, within our company, I think it started from when my mother and my father worked together. They, I think, the same thing. They had their issues of uh, bonking heads a lot. And uh, as me and Chris uh, grew up in the company, I actually took after my mother. And she was responsible for the sales and the marketing and more the administrative side of the business. And my father, who was always the R&D, he's your, he's your classic entrepreneur. He looked after the operations, new product development, logistics, all that type of stuff, assembly production. And so since me and Chris have come up, we have kind of adopted those same roles. And uh, you know what? Uh, we, we keep it very separated, okay? So if there's a new logistics company we're going to be dealing with that's going to be doing all our freight, it's actually Chris's decision. I might weigh in on it, but it's his call at the end of the day. And I think if a lot of businesses, it doesn't matter how big the business is, if you have two people or more people, you make a clear uh, mark in the sand and say, this person's in charge of sales in a retail store. They make the call on what the final price will be for the customer. They're responsible for all discounting. 
and then maybe another person is responsible for installations and that's their go-to and you don't cross that line and if you do it's almost more like hey I think you should look at this but you don't want to uh, that's where conflict happens yeah. and to be honest with me and my brother right now whenever we break those lines that's where conflict starts to happen <laughs> so setting boundaries within your own organization will really help uh, the family and the business flourish and too. speaking from a smaller standpoint a small business it, it really comes into defining roles yeah. I mean so like so much of us as we have small family business you get in I, I took over the business but I didn't have a job description I didn't know what my role was and when you blur those lines and that's a gray area it ends up creating conflict conflict because you both think you are making that decision and there's an argument that comes there's a, a, an immense amount of respect when you document a job description and uh, you can weigh in but you aren't making the decision and then you have enough respect for Chris to allow him to make that decision yeah that's amazing so it's funny whenever I go do work with businesses and, and talk to people and do speaking engagements people ask all kinds of questions what should I do in this situation you know I'm running into this difficulty here I'm, I'm not joking like 99% of the time the answer is set expectations. If you haven't set the expectation, how can anybody succeed in performing to it, right? It doesn't, because the expectation doesn't exist. Absolutely. Yeah, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, okay, so Grant, you brought up your father, and I guess, Stephen, you did as well. So I want to ask you guys, because both of you have kind of these legend fathers in the industry that, you know, Stephen, your dad pioneered this, this monster company that you guys are running now, started with, you know, nothing and, and started building wood stoves. Grant, mm -hmm. You know, your dad took over a family business as a third generation owner. The business used to be a fruit stand, literally. They used to run a fruit stand in Spokane, and now they've got this huge, just amazing, top-notch retailer. So what has it been like growing up in the shadow of such successful fathers? A blessing and a curse. <laughs> you know, it's been, I, I wouldn't change it for anything. One of the coolest parts is that I get to come to this trade show every year with my father. Uh, I used to, I, I'll never forget in Anaheim, the first time I, I went to the trade show, uh, how many people respected and knew my father, and uh, I wanted to do that. It, it's been t tough at times. Uh, the biggest thing, once I realized that it's my responsibility to make sure that the relationship with my father and I are, are good at all times, uh, was when our relationship really got a lot more deep. Uh, I put myself in his shoes almost in every situation. When I approach something, I put myself in his shoes. I try to think of where he's coming from. Here it is, uh, he stepped out, he has another job. He still owns our company, but really has very little say in what's happening now. I have to be extremely respectful to that. And it's because of how much respect for, for him I have uh, over the 30 years he's done this. I would not be able to do the things that I can do with our company without hitting him getting it to that point and all we're doing is extending that legacy we're not changing anything but times are changing and we have to have that relationship in good standing to continue that that, that positive change yeah so I would very very similar okay so yeah my parents it's in my case it's my mother and my father that built a, a good sized company um, but I find it uh, I don't find, like, I do find a lot of stress. There's definitely stress there, okay? But I don't actually feel like it's my company. I feel like it's their company, and I'm just helping them do the best I can to make the company run. And uh, so I'm kind of uh, just making sure it's going there. So it's kind of nice in that sense that I, I still give them all the credit, and I'm just kind of helping along on the side. 
That's, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah, and I, I think too, it's, it's interesting, I want to go here in a second, because both of you have actually built businesses with your brothers as well, which I, I want to go there in just a minute. But it is really interesting to think about the way that companies work, that, that me and Grant talk about this all the time, that very often when a business starts, there's different phases a business goes through. And phase one is that you're a treadmill operator, right? Because there's nobody, you have to do everything, right? I, like, I'm starting a business now, so like, I'm in marketing, I'm in sales, you know, not me, my wife's in accounting, right? It's like a treadmill operator. And that can get the business to a certain point, and, and that can make a, a very successful business. But where you guys are both at is taking a business that has been grown to a certain level and now starting to become a trailblazer and saying, this is amazing, we're so thankful for the success that we have. Yeah. Now, how can we start making this really hung in the best way using technology and our new ideas and everything like that. And, and, and there, there are differences in the way that businesses run. 100%, you have to be the yin to the yang. I mean, you really do have to understand each other. Uh, and I, I love the analogy because truly my dad was a doer. My dad was a, uh, he, he was a third generation Falco, but. And he was going from nursery. And I just want to clarify, we were a fruit stand in 1928. <laughs> We're a fourth-generation business. My great-grandfather started the company in 1928 as a fruit stand. It, it morphed to a nursery, and then it, it's been a number of different things. And then when my dad took it on, he, he brought on Hearth. Yeah. I mean, he was an entrepreneur. He was bringing in and, and selling dozens of pellet stoves a day and, and, and creating that. Uh, but he, he was a doer, and he got it to a certain point by doing everything. And what's hard, I think, is and, – and I can relate to you in, in a way here – I. I'm, I'm changing the way, and I'm not a doer anymore. I'm not, I'm not the best person to be selling, but my dad was, and that's amazing. But I want three that are as close to me as I can, so I can't be down there selling. Yeah. I have to be investing in them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there super quick. So for me, again, I don't come from a family business, but my background is seven years ago, I got brought into a company to build out a retail division. And so my goal from the beginning at this company was replace myself, right? I told my boss every single day, my job is to make this run so efficiently that you either got to fire me or find something else for me to do because they don't need me. And, and, and we're starting to get to that point now where, where it's, it's amazing that it's been able to grow that way. But it is different when you're building something to do everything yourself versus realizing that if you use systems and processes and delegate power to other people and responsibility with that power, they may not perform as well as you but that's okay because I would rather have, you know, say that I try to train someone on sales and maybe they're 80% as good as me. I'd rather have four people that are 80% than just me, right? I mean, that's going to go further. That's going to give them a better livelihood. It's going to serve more customers. And I think that that is a, a transition point that we're all trying to figure out. Yeah, in family business, it's your father. We talked about separating. Your boss is your father. So you're actually going to your father and saying, I want to do less. That's what he hears. I want to do less, but that's not the case. Uh, I, I believe in holding the process and the system responsible more than the people and have developed. And we went from, when I took over the store six years ago, we had 18 employees. We have 34 employees now. We went from two installs to four install crews. We've been able to grow because I got out of the way. I manage from a top and I have leaders underneath me that I continue to nurture, guide, and teach so that there's in essence, mini-us, mini-me's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's been extremely successful and empowering to our employees because, again, in family business, where, where's their growth track? 
you know, you, you want them to be able to get to that leadership level. And so employees are a little bit more motivated as well. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of skipped over brothers, but I do want to highlight that because both of you have grown and are growing businesses with your brothers. What's that dynamic like? It's, uh, it's really good, actually. It's, uh, you know exactly what they're good at. You know exactly what they're not good at. So, yes, you definitely rub each other the wrong way a lot. Like, there's a lot of conflict. But you know what? At the end of the day, like, I'll call my brother if we get in an argument. I'll call him that night, and I'll just kind of say, you know what? I'm sorry. I just I blew up. And you get over it. And then, you know what? He says the same thing back. You know what? I, I, I apologize, too. I, I wasn't listening to what you were saying. And you know what? At the end of the day, if you do that, and you mentioned that at the beginning, Grant, that if you, if you can do that process, I think it'll make your company really, really strong. Yeah, there has to be a super amount of respect uh, involved. And if there's no respect or trust, it is extremely difficult. My brother is my best friend, like hands down, my best friend. And he was with our company for eight years. And uh, obviously he has now moved on. And uh, it was uh, an amazing transition. And, uh, but we would get emotional. We would get in fights. We, we wanted, I mean, maybe sometimes even physical. We might talk about it in a little bit. But we, we were just wanting the same thing. We were just wanting the family to be successful. We were just wanting our employees to win. Uh, you're on the same path, but you have different ideas. And when emotions are in, it's like literally, it was, it's, it's almost always like two hours later, you're just like, dang it, I need to apologize. Yeah. Shoot a text, make a phone call, say that just wasn't needed. You have to be quick to apologize. If you let it fester, it's hard to come back from that. Oh, man, that's so good. Yeah, it's like a feather pillow, man. Once you let those feathers out, they're not going back in the pillow. You got to keep it tight. Guys, take notes if you work with your brother here. Take notes on that. We'll be right back to our conversation with Grant Falco and Steven Schroeder in just a minute. Hey, right now, we're in the midst of a crisis, and businesses all over the country are closing their doors, and frankly, we don't know how long it's going to last. Cash flow is tighter than ever, and everyone is looking for the answers of what needs to be done. Well, in the time that we've had to think about this, I want to share with you a new sales funnel that we have to be thinking about. You know, if your business doors are closed, the only way a customer is going to connect with you is via your website, and it's more important than ever that your website is on point, generating leads, and working for you. So with that in mind, we need to be thinking about a new sales funnel. And I want you guys to think about the sales funnel in three steps. The very top of the funnel, level one, is your website needs to have a chat service to engage customers. So your team members need to be working either from their mobile phones or from their laptops via chat to engage the customers as they come onto your website. The next level down of the sales funnel, stage two, is going to be to generate a customized estimate. So after you've chatted with this customer, you need to have a way to deliver an instant estimate into their inbox to let them know what the project's going to cost. If it's too expensive, you can work with them on finding something that's more in the budget range that they have, but the goal is engage them in a chat and then provide them with a customized estimate right away. And that moves you on to stage three of the sales funnel, which is scheduling a video consultation. This is different than we've ever done before, but I'm telling you, we are going to have to adopt this model over the next few months. So stage one, engage customers via chat. Stage two, provide them a customized estimate. And stage three, schedule a video appointment as if you are in their own home to sell the job. Now, this is something that you got to get started on right away. 
And if you need help, I want to tell you about Wi-Fi. This is something that I've been personally building for the last three years, and it's a sales system designed to do everything that we've just talked about and more. But you can engage your customers via chat. You can provide instant estimates to them that are contextual to their exact situation. And then from there, schedule a video consultation to sell the job as if you were in the home. To take advantage of this and to see a demo, go to wifire.com. That's W-H-Y-F-I-R-E.com. As I was building this, I never in my wildest dreams expected that something like COVID-19 would happen, but I'm telling you, this is more relevant than ever. To sign up, go to www.wifire.com. Well, I want to ask you too, I want to ask you about your moms, because I know that both of you have a really special relationship with your mothers. Stephen, can you talk about that looks like? I know Ingrid's right here. She's a pioneer in the industry. What what has that relationship been like for you, and how has that empowered you to be the person you are today? Well, really, from when I first started in the company, well, actually, I've been working in the company a long time. Like, I actually went from doing, uh, working on the assembly line, you know what I mean, right up to co-CEO, which is kind of crazy, but... Uh, my mother was my kind of uh, coach all the way along so and I actually took on all the roles that she does now so she was my you know my board of directors all the way along so in the beginning I was doing stuff for her and then I started to realize from my schooling that I I might actually have some stuff I could bring to the company so together we worked really well together and then Eventually, it got to the point where I actually took her office, which was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to say something. So, uh, Stephen and I have uh, we've gotten close over the last year. I mean, uh, we are, uh, well, one of the things, and when we talk, I'm just I'm blown away by how humble you are. It just it blows me away. And last night, I asked him and told him that I told him that I was blown away by how humble he was, and he just said, "My mom, yeah, my mom." She laid down the. The law. I knew what was right and wrong, and and that was yep, exactly right. I can see it. I can see it. And I would say the same thing for me. Truthfully, my mom is the glue that kept us together. I mean, she saw all our weaknesses and continued to fill those voids. And just she's that person behind our business, just putting every finger in every hole. My mom is by default our accountant and our liaison to the accountant. But man, she's our protector. She's our guide and. Uh, my dad would just fully tell you we couldn't have done this without her. She's in the grind behind the scenes and probably the, the hero of it all. If you, if you look at our company, my dad's the trailblazer. He's the entrepreneur. He's the one that's saying, hey, let's build this. Let's build this. Let's build this. And my mother was the glue behind it that stuck it together to make sure it didn't all fall apart. It's, that's exactly. And that's what mothers scenario. do, right? That's exactly Whether right. it's in a family or in a business, right? We appreciate it. Well, I want, to guys, I want to ask you guys this. So we, we've talked just briefly about it, but when sparks fly, what happens next? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, what if gonna, you're right? Yeah. What if you're right? It doesn't matter. It, I mean, it, it, it truly is uh, the family comes first, right? So your brother's first, uh, second, you'll work it out. And, and most of the time, it's, it's uh, with brothers, I mean, it might be an ego thing a lot of times, a lot of times you guys know what the right answer is or you can figure out the right answer it's just emotions get in the way two heads are better than one I think in the in the heat of the moment you think you're smarter than the other person or have a better idea and, and you're right you have to if one sparks fly you gotta separate and take time to cool off that, that's the way to do it so if you ever anybody that's listening has that just 
take time to say, you know what, let's talk about this tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go back to doing what I do. You go back. Let's not like not continue to argue. Let's just chill out. Yep. Even though you're probably pretty heated, but yep. uh, it's I the can, best way. No, I, I, I have been in situations where I have been heated with my father, stopped and walked away and just told him I had to walk away. And it wasn't because I disrespected him. It was because my emotions were getting the best of me. And over time, you have to realize that you're going down a path that's not going to work. And you have to change it. Now, it's not always received when I ignore him in the best way. But it gets us removed from the situation. It, level heads prevail. And you have a conversation about it. And both of you, it's, it's like you come back together and you say, no, you were right both of you say it you know so it, it's a common respect and you get to the right answer I, I want to drill down on this so hypothetically I'm sure this situation has never happened with anybody this year okay so I'm just speaking hyperbolically but what if what if you're in a situation where it's not your call it's their call and you know you know that they are wrong what do you do I would use factual information to prove to them that uh um, that there's something there's also something else I do a lot too I didn't really mention this at all coming back to uh, when you're working with the responsibilities of the two groups if there's overlap or in a conflict situation I try to bring in a neutral third party okay so if it, me and my brother were arguing I could bring in my mother I could bring my father I could bring in my president I could bring in a trusted manager. So in maybe in a retail store, maybe it's uh, your sales manager yeah. that you guys both trust and work with. And you kind of bounce it off them and say, hey, what do you think? Like, am I out to lunch or is he out to lunch? Can you talk to him if, you, if, the, if he's in agreement too? So I think when it comes from a third party, it's a lot better in that scenario. Yeah, you have to, I mean, I think that's amazing. And uh, I think... I've never been intentional about doing that, but I know exactly. I have a, a, an office manager that we use a lot of the time in that situation. She's been around our business for 35 years, knows us extremely well, uh, being factual. But I think putting yourself in, an, in a situation where it's as unemotional as possible, and I think including a third party kind of allows that to happen a little bit easier too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, okay, I'm going to put you guys on the spot since we have such a big crowd here, and I want to ask each of you guys, okay, I want to hear a story about a fight that you had with a family member and how you got through it. Grant, I know you got a good one. Okay. So my brother was responsible for, uh, I have a lot actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I mean, me and my brother fought, but like I said, we were best friends. He was responsible for the showroom and, uh, I have, a. I wasn't responsible for the showroom, but I had definitely opinions about the showroom at that time. And I just had a hard time with understanding what our method was. And so I, I maybe approached him in a way that was emotional. And we started talking about just barbecues in general. And one thing leads to another. And uh, all of a sudden we got each other in by the shirt. And we wouldn't let go of each other because if we let go of each other, we had to fight. <laughs> so like, it, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll take a step back. We removed ourselves first. So <laughs> this wasn't in the middle of the show. This was not in the middle of the showroom. <laughs> We went out back, and, and one of our managers watched us, and he said it was embarrassing. It was like the funniest thing I've ever seen because we were yelling and screaming at each other. We had each other by the shirt, but we wouldn't let go. So it was like, it was like you were dancing. It was the craziest thing. We're going around, and, and eventually we just separated. But th that happened, I can, not in a physical way ever, but those fights happened over and over and over again. The, 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 I'm going to just I'm gonna hammer this. 
I would an hour later go to my brother and just tell him I love him, that I'm sorry, and that it's up to me. It was all, any time that fight, fought happened, even if I thought it was still his fault, I said sorry first. I always made it a mission to try to say sorry, even as, as hard as it was sometimes. Dude, I'm going to jump in, Stephen, before you talk. Okay. okay, so what Grant just said is so powerful. I've, I've experienced this so much in my marriage, with my family, in my life, at my work. Guys, if you want to be a person of influence, like, take responsibility. Even if it's 99% their fault, own your 1%. And, like, you know, for me with the sales teams that I run, if our numbers are down, whose fault is it? It's my It's not. It's my fault. I am the leader. The beauty of that is that when it's my fault, I can do something about it, right? When I blame it on, oh, it's, you know, this, it's that, it's this situation, it's the economy, like, okay, those are factors, and I don't want to undermine that. But, but for me, like, dude, blame goes up and praise goes down, and I think that being able to own what you can own gives you power to do something about it. I love that you said that, Grant. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, Stephen, I want to hear your story. Like, like Grant, I probably have unlimited amounts of stories. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you one which is a bit different. Instead of just the brother, uh, we do a family meeting with the four of us, okay? And uh, we have them bi-weekly or sometimes monthly. And sometimes, well, me being right all the time... Of course. ...causes a lot of conflict. So uh, uh, I I can remember a few times now where it feels like, and if, if, if there's listeners here that have more than one brother or more than one family member together you can almost feel like you're getting ganged up on, beat up on. And it, it, that's a really tough situation because you're not one-on-one, it's three-on-one. And that can be really, really <laughs> difficult, okay? And like Grant, I do the same thing. I will kind of get to that point where I'm going to like explode and I remove myself from the situation. I just get up, I walk out, and I diffuse it. And, I, and, I, and, and you know what? I, I think... The whole family has time to kind of say, A, why did Steve get so upset? And then I can reflect on why I was so upset. And then usually, actually, in our family, it's usually my mother who would come back and, you know, try to bring us back together to make sure. But it would happen a day later, probably, or maybe that night, but most likely a day later. So without a specific, well, actually, that is a specific example. And it happens does happen sometimes but you know the more you work and the more you communicate on, on in your within the family unit it helps I did want to make a comment yeah. and I kind of caught it before I think it is so so important that you don't do these fights that Grant did with his brother <laughs> do not do it in front of staff okay because they get confused they look at you and they're saying these guys don't know what the hell they're doing yeah okay you have to do that in a professional manner behind closed doors. Go for lunch. Do it in the car. Do it at your house. Do it at your home office. It's very, very important because the, 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 the staff will just... Well, they, they, they need to see divide. that they, they, they will be on one team or the other in yeah. that situation. Yeah. And also, too, I think that sometimes, like, the truth is that any intimate relationship, conflict is a part of it. And frankly, that's how you grow. Like, you can't build muscles without conflict. Like, yeah. muscles actually have to be tried and even broken to some degree to be regrown stronger. And so it's easy in situations like that, I'd imagine, for third parties looking in, to see conflict and think they hate each other, what is going on with this, as opposed to they actually desperately love each other, they want the same thing, but they have adamant ideas about how to get there, 
and they are working together to find the best path. But yeah, I think you're right, Stephen. I use the word, it's friction, right? That yes. People see it as friction and they associate it as negative. You know, mm-hmm. Grant and his brother hate each other. They don't agree on whatever they're working on. But really, it's actually positive friction, okay? Just like you're saying. So the friction is designed so you get the best of both ideas yeah. together. And, and if you look at it that way, yeah. it can be very, very healthy for a business. Yeah. When it becomes negative friction, that's where you have to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it's like toxic, yep. then you got to deal with that. Well, I mean, like, if my brother, after we fought, went to other employees and said, oh, you know, grant this, grant that. That never happened. I can assure you, never happened. My brother wouldn't undermine me. I wouldn't undermine him. And that's where that divide comes. Uh, You know, we fought. We made mistakes. But we learned from those. We realized what it would do and uh, addressed it together. And, uh, yeah, I mean, two heads are better than one. And that friction is how you get there. You just have to, again, take the emotion out of it to get there most of the time. Okay, well... I've been fortunate enough to spend you know, a decent amount of time with you guys, and I know you, I know your wives, and each of you is married to just a terrific woman. And the funny thing that all of our wives have in common is that they're extremely kind and extremely gracious and patient, but I would say that none of them suffer fools gladly. <laughs> and I want to ask you guys, though, how has your relationship with your wife helped you navigate the dynamics of a family business where yeah, I just want to ask that question. I'll jump in. So uh, <clears throat> I didn't get married until I was uh, 31 years old. And I was working in the business since I was 22 years old. When your personal life is more dramatic than your work life or stressful, uh, it, it makes it impossible to work on the business you, you, and even work in the business with a, a, a direction. And I'll say my 20s, I dated, I had stress, and I wasn't the business person I needed to be. My wife is a direct reason I am the, who I am. I, we have no, we're not perfect by any means, but I love my wife, and we, she creates no drama. She supports me. I can't, I can't even believe it. There might be a night that I don't call her at the expo. She has never been mad at me for that. The drama is out of our relationship. It's not in our relationship. I get it. I get a focus on work and go home and, and play with my kids and enjoy life. But bringing that stressless personal life to the plate was the biggest blessing in my life. And I didn't know what I was searching for, but I was searching for that ease in a relationship. And that's what I got with my wife. And it has allowed me to prosper in business. Some people escape their lives to work. And you can't do that. The work has to be your stress. That's true. And my wife has taken that uh, and helped me uh, build the business by, by just creating no stress. And it's, again, you guys, we have fights. But I can't tell you how amazing it is. You guys aren't grabbing each other out in the parking lot, right? Yeah, no, 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 none of that dancing stuff. Uh, but no, it's just it's, it's just been amazing uh, how easy uh, she has made my life. And uh, I couldn't be here. I couldn't be doing things we are with our business without her. It's pretty amazing. So with, with me, my wife is really like my board of directors, if I look at it that way. Um, women think differently than men, if you haven't noticed yet. I've heard that. Um, so, you know what? I, I bounce a lot of things off my wife, and I, you know what? I, I'm doing it more and more, okay? Even to the point where I'm like, here, I'm about to send this email on my phone. What do you think? And I'd say nine times out of ten, she's like, you can't write that. <laughs> that's, like, too aggressive, or that's, you know, that you, you can't say that word. And it's amazing 
how much value she can give to what I'm doing in my position. Whether it's at an event here going for dinner with uh, groups, with customers, but day-to-day uh, -day business, dealing with the family side of the business, um, and I think leveraged properly. I think I'm in a good space right now where she adds a ton of value. She probably doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, need to tell her. Yeah. I think one of the things our wives also have in common is being blunt and telling us when we're yes. idiots. Yeah. And like they check us and they check us well. I've seen you be checked by Jessica. <laughs> it's amazing. She's laughing over there. And I saw Shannon last year in the podcast with us and she managed you. You were a little bit nervous. I was nervous. We were all a little bit nervous. We hadn't done this very much. And uh, it was amazing to see her. She was right there with you. And I felt like it was. It was needed, and you can see she had this calmness over you, and it was pretty special to see. Yeah, and I'm, my wife is right here, and I'm laughing, Stephen, as you're talking about emails, because I, I consider myself to be a, a decent writer. You know, I'd like to think so. I try to communicate well. I'm not joking. Like literally in the last month and a half, I have learned that I actually don't know how to write an email, and and Jessica is my proofreader, and just like you, Steve, where I'll I'll think something's fine because I just say it conversationally like I would, and she'll yeah. say no, like. You can't say it that way. You can't. I mean, and it's it's amazing. I think, you know, and this is true for anything. Is like sometimes you, when you're when you're in the thick of it, you get this tunnel vision. Whether it's your family business or, or your outlook on life, you get this tunnel vision, and you think that that's the only way it exists, and it it it, it just occupies your whole world. If you guys have had family business drama, right? I think that your wife can be like the neutral third party that like. Yes, they're part of the family, but they, they married into the craziness. And so they have a little bit more of an objective perspective to help you sort out, like, this actually isn't that big of a deal. Or, man, this is actually really crazy. Like, you should say something or do something about it. Yeah, exactly. It, it's an added perspective. My wife – and again – I really do not take things home with me, so we don't talk a lot about work. I don't share emails with her, uh, and it's because of that separation. But the focus on other things allows me to, well, I kind of lost my train of thought there. I mean, she, she brings an a, 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 a element of calmness and stress-free to my life that allows me to focus so tightly on my company and if I couldn't do that, I just don't know how I would how I would be able to function as this person. Um, that's the best I can say. Yeah, no, I think it's awesome. I mean, I mean, we talk about this a lot. I know for me, like you know, my wife is like the hardest worker I've ever met. She's like this you know crazy accountant, super mom, like all these different things. And and the way that I see it is like, uh, you know, in in order for me to to be the best Tim Reed at, at work, like I honestly have to be a good husband because if I'm not a good husband and I'm a dad now, if I'm not a good husband and a good dad, like dude, I'm not going to be a good boss. Like I'm not going to be a good leader or a manager. So I think that life is about these like hierarchical priorities that, that you really have to think about and set because like if I'm not pouring into my marriage, like I'm going to be totally dried up when I go to work, right? Like if I'm not pouring into my kids. If I've got, like you're saying, Grant, stress outside of these things, like Life's about harmony. It really is. And like, I don't necessarily believe in work-life balance. I think that's just not a real thing. But I think there is work-life harmony that you can start to achieve. Okay, I want to ask you guys just a couple more questions. So if you're a younger person, I mean, both of you guys are younger, but if, if you're a younger person taking over from a parent that did things differently than you, where do you start if you want to gain respect from other team members when you're taking things in a direction that might be uncomfortable for them? So... There's, there's so many things you have to do. And I think for me, one of the things when assuming the responsibility or starting to see that that was going to take the place, I, I really focused on what things looked like versus what things were. So 
I knew that I was fighting the stereotype of the owner's son. I was very sensitive to that. And I would I made subtle adjustments to how people saw me. And, and an example I can give you is I walk with pace everywhere I, I, I am in the store. I walk with pace, I run up the stairs, and I'm telling you what, that impression, it, it, it speaks volumes. Because Grant's on a mission, Grant's on a direction. If I somberly walk through there as the owner's son, what is the judgment I'm allowing them to, to view me as? So I really think of what it looks like, and I actually talk to my employees about that all the time. It's not what it is, it's what it looks like. I see my installers for a couple hours a day, right? In the morning and at night. If they're just jolly and hanging out and lazy, and that's my impression of them. They don't do that anymore because they understand. I only have those two hours, one hour in the morning, one hour at night. It's what it looks like. You have to really focus that. The second thing I would say is you have to put yourself in those people's shoes, whether it's your employees or your parents. You have to understand where they're coming from. You have to respect their perspective. That. I want to ask, did you come up with that on your own, the, the pace of walking through the business, yes. or was that something that was told to you? That was that something that I just did. Huh. That's funny. My dad actually told me that, and I took it on, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Wow. So, But I did the exact same thing, so yep. I'm always on a mission. Yep. Breaks would come, you know, like when I was working in the factories, I would, uh, like the break would hit, I would work through, you know, like the 15-minute breaks before, a lot, like mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. Yep. I would just continue to work through yep. them to, to show people that yep. I cared, so. Yep, Absolutely. I, I think it, about it a lot, and I heard someone call it the Santa Claus effect. So, like, when you dress up as Santa Claus, okay, stay with me here. When you dress up as Santa Claus, like, you actually have to be Santa Claus. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna put on the suit and the beard, you you better be jolly. You better smile. You better laugh. Like, you can't be like the hungover Santa Claus or like the not excited Santa Claus. You have to live the part. And if you're a leader. You're putting on the Santa Claus suit, so you better be Santa Claus. I love that you brought that up. Yeah, you have to overdo it. You have to overdo it because the judgment right out of the gate is that you're a lazy, prima donna, owner's son. And you have to break that as soon as possible. And the only way to do it is to overcompensate that. And it's the little things. I mean, seriously, I have customers saying, you don't have to run. I'm like, it's a habit now. Like, I can't even stop. I, I go upstairs even at the hotel. I'm running up them. It's just a habit. But it was embedded simply because I knew that I had a fight ahead of me and I didn't want to, I didn't want to be that person. Wow. So Grant, what have you done? Because you guys have made big changes over the last five, six years. You've got a leadership team in place and you're really able to steer the ship as opposed to be, you know, rowing the oars in the, in the bottom of the boat. And there's value in all those positions. But at the end of the day, someone, there does need to be someone steering. And, and you've done a really good job of transitioning into that. How have you started to, to change people's mindsets to go in that direction when it wasn't familiar to them before? First of all, you have to be close with your employees and they have to know that you're listening to them. But you also have to put yourself in a position where you maybe know the direction before they do. And so I have, uh, I fought the battle of the owner's son and I got over that stereotype. Then I was put in, res- in responsibility of the company six years ago with no way to judge performance, with no idea of how to create a culture, to not to how to divide up the time of working in the business and working on the business. And so I had to fight my dad thinking I wasn't selling or wasn't doing these things and I was being lazy and come up with a way to run the company, a way to see performance, a way to understand what our investment is. And, and, and really, it, it starts with 
understanding clear expectations. I was just going to say that. Like having clear expectations, setting goals, having a mission, aligned in that mission. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you can create clear expectations and couple that with some consistent accountability, as you grow your business, you'll create a culture that you're looking for. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was, I'm still still convincing of buy-in on certain things. And I think as a leader, you're always going to. And sometimes you're not even totally convinced that it's, you're not even sure what the results are gonna be, but you know it's the right direction. You gotta get those people there, but you have to be so humble in your approach and you have to make sure that they feel a part of it. And so we've done certain things, like we meet weekly, we have store meetings on a monthly basis, we have stand-up meetings every morning, and that's to tighten the bond of our team, keep things intentional, and uh, yeah, I think what I see on the, on the flip side, six years later, is tons of buy-in and a culture. You know why? In accountability, like one of the hardest things as a leader is you have to hold your employees accountable, but at the same time, you have to inspire them. And how do you do that? Well, you do it by holding them consistently accountable. They want to be held accountable. And, and I'll tell you why. They want to win. Your employees want to win. And once I realize my employees want to win and that I got to create them winning on a daily basis, man, my culture went crazy. Now, if we lost, it wasn't a loss. We don't say loss. We learn. We do it unemotionally every week. We win or learn. We have scoreboards and we won't get into all that, but yeah, creating that culture starts with clear expectations and consistent accountability. It reminds me a lot of Simon Sinek and he, and he talks about start with why. And I think that's what you're hitting on Grant is that when you're going in a new direction, if you've been used to doing something for 20 years and all of a sudden you're going in a new direction, if you don't know why, it's super hard, right? So I think that starting with why and saying, hey, guys, this is where we're going. This is why it's so important that we move this way. Here's the expectation of what we're going to have as we go along this path. And we're actually going to have a scoreboard just so we can tell if we're winning or if we need to actually be, be learning. How do we tweak what we're doing to keep moving? I think that's super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, I, I want to just tell you, I'm, I'm really thankful that you did this. You know, as I've gotten to know you both over the last year, I... I I don't exaggerate when I say this. I think that the two of you are two of the most thoughtful leaders in our industry. And just the way that your minds are moving is different than a lot of people. So I just, I, I want to thank you for the friendship. I'm, it's awesome being here at the trade show. And yeah, just thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks, yeah. yeah. So thank you guys for being here. We appreciate it. If anybody has any questions, we can hit a couple questions. And if not, we will wrap this up and keep walking the trade show floor. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Grant and Steven. I mean, for me, sitting there at the trade show, man, it was pretty awesome to see them going back and forth. And I felt like there's just a ton of value there, whether you're in a family business or not. But I've just talked to so many listeners who are in family business situations that are extremely difficult. I think that there's some amazing advice in there to patching wounds and move forward with your business without tearing your family apart in the meantime. Now, the dynamic at the trade show this year, it was kind of weird because, you know, the COVID-19 stuff hadn't quite gone into full effect, but it was 
pretty close and you know there's rumors about it almost getting canceled and attendance was down and all these things but i'm going to tell you two amazing things that happened number one is that the education sessions at the expo this year were off the hook there were sold out sessions attendance was up even over dallas last year and it was just incredible to see even in the midst of a pandemic people still wanted to come in and learn what they needed to grow their business and that was just amazing to see the second thing is that we actually had a podcast meetup and it was incredible We had people from all over North America grabbing drinks, talking to each other, laughing. We actually had temporary tattoos that we were putting on, and it was just amazing. And what was so cool for me to see was people that had never met each other before connecting at this meetup and talking as if they were old friends. It was just amazing for me. It kind of felt like I was at a wedding. You know, you're kind of going from group to group to group to group, talking to everybody. But it was incredible to see the community that's being formed around the podcast. So stay tuned. We will definitely find a way to do more of these meetups at industry events. And this actually dovetails right into where I wanted to go next. So some of you guys know about this because you were at the HPB Expo, but about a week before the trade show, Grant Falco and I launched the Firetime Network. And this is an idea that we had about nine months ago, but basically our goal is to take the community that the podcast has created and bring it to the next level. So what we did is we put together a social media platform for the hearth industry and Pretty much anything you could do on Facebook, you can do on the Firetime Network. But what's awesome, too, is that we're actually building a library of content, and this will be both free and paid content, that will help you grow yourself and your business long-term. And, I mean... We could not be more excited about it. The conversations that have been going on inside the Firetime Network have just been incredible. And if you go there right now, there are five courses that are totally free that have to do with everything from running an installation department to how to organize team meetings to winning more sales. I could not be more excited about this. One thing that's been actually amazing too is that in the Firetime Network, especially in light of this COVID-19 crisis, we've been putting together a digital bar where people from all over the country can grab a beer or a soda, water, whatever they're drinking. They can pull up in front of their webcam and they can talk with other people about what they're doing to get through this crisis. And we had our first one last week and it was just incredible. And what I'm loving the most is just seeing the organic conversation that's happening between people all over the country who are in this industry together, helping each other move their businesses forward. It's incredible. So if you want to join the Firetime Network, you can go to the firetimenetwork.com. Now, the cost of entry to join is you have to fill out an anonymous survey about the state of the industry. And once you fill that out, you'll get free access to join the Firetime Network. Now, before I sign off, there's one last thing I want to tell you guys about. So I have a lot of people ask me, you know, how many hours does the podcast take? And the the short answer is it, it takes a lot. And in the near future, I'm looking to outsource some of the hours that this podcast takes to operate. And to do that, it takes some money. So what I did is I set up a Patreon account for the podcast. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Patreon's a service where People who get value out of this podcast can subscribe to give on a monthly basis whatever they're comfortable towards this podcast. Now, I'm going to make this super clear. This podcast is not all about money, but money is fuel to get us to our destination. And as the hours are starting to rack up, I'm looking to offload some of the podcast responsibilities, and that takes money to do. So if you believe in the podcast, then 
I want you to give whatever is a joy to give. And if you're not able to do it, then don't. But here's the website where if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go. The website is patreon.com slash it's fire time. So Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. So if you've gotten value out of this podcast, I hope that you're able to contribute. But if not, that's totally okay. This is always going to be a free resource to help you move the needle in your business long term. So with all that said, I'm going to sign off. I know that this has been a long episode and I appreciate you listening all the way to the end. I can't tell you how thankful I am to be back in front of the mic and I can't wait for the rest of season four of the Firetime Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.